What's up, peeps? Before you get into the episode, just a quick message. Did you know that Rebranded Safety is brought to you by Risk Fluent? Rebranded Safety is essentially our campaign to achieve our purpose, which is to make the working world better by Rebranded Safety one interaction at a time. We value a people-centered approach that delivers positive impact on the risk. We deliver three types of services, technical, transformational, and fire. It's the last show I wanted to talk to you about. If you value what we value and you want some support driving a culture change or decluttering your safety systems, or you want to improve human performance and it's our transformational support that can help you, or maybe you want a highly experienced registered fire risk assessor to carry out an assessment on your building, design an emergency plan or review the fire safety design for your new building, then it's our fire support service that can help you. But before you get in touch with us, it's important that you want to have impact on the actual risk and you value a people-centered approach. If you don't, that's fine. You'll find someone that can help you. But if you do value those, then get in touch with us at riskfluentltd.com or email me, james, at riskfluentltd.com. But for now, I'll let you get into the episode. This show is brought to you by Safety FM. Welcome back to Rebound Safety. Today we've got something different. It's me being interviewed on another podcast. Um, so in case you haven't listened to that one, you can listen to this one. Let's jump into the intro and tell you some more about it. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution and one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviours. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing a stereotype. Brought to you by Risplit. What's up peeps, welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is the YouTube channel and podcast doing exactly what it says on the tin so if you're new here hit subscribe hit like hit follow whatever button it is on your platform that does nice things on the algorithm for us today i'm talking to a guy called brent sutton you might know him uh, he runs the learning teams podcast i think that's right yes learning teams podcast and he's also wrote a book about learning teams uh, jointly with a couple of others um, and I think the podcasts also run as a team as well. I think they rotate or something. I'm not quite sure. Um, so Brent basically just does loads of stuff around learning teams, um, what that's like, what people do with it. And me and Brent just kind of really just chew the fat for a long time around quite a lot of stuff. Um, and uh, hopefully you enjoy it. It's a bit bit different. It's, it's me being interviewed instead of, well, kind of not interviewed, but it's me being questioned as opposed to um, me questioning someone else. So hopefully you enjoy this. Hopefully you get something out of it and uh, i'll keep you company on your commute dog walk whatever it is before we get into it though just a quick shout out to paradigm human performance the sponsors of rebounding safety youtube channel and podcast if you are looking for a human organizational performance expert these are one of the best in my opinion they work all around the world with some of the biggest name brands around they've got a a team just full of experience whether it's military whether it's aviation rail uh, oil and gas nuclear these guys are chock full of experience and they're a lovely bunch of people to boot as well so if you're in that position within your organization where you are looking for um, some human organizational performance whether you want to onboard those principles in your workplace and you're looking for some support from a specialist and paradigm are 
the ones for you. Um, if you're also not sure about that or you want a bit of both, then you go check out the Learning Organization webinar as well. It runs every other Thursday. You can sign up to that on the website in the description below. Email address, phone number, website in the description below. Don't forget to go check them out. If you're looking to improve your professional development and not just tick boxes on your CPD or whatever, you actually want to develop, then Project Miletium was founded by me and Colin for that exact reason. It's a mastermind community. We simply just run calls and have some resources and a safe space it's that's that's really what it is it's a safe space a community for people in safety and risk to help each other to share problems um to mentor each other to kind of be mentored um we run weekly kind of conversations where we just chew the fat where we help each other solve problems or we talk about something that's been happening lately we have philosophy calls once a month we have um we a book club which we read six books a year and we have a quarterly event as well with keynotes and stuff and we've got courses coming soon as well so there's loads of stuff uh, to help you um develop as a professional so go check that out we're running our first month free your first month free um using the code free letter free word free and then four one um but we'll put the code in the description the code's on the website as well so it's really easy you can't miss the code um you get your first month completely free of charge don't forget to check out rebrandingsafety.com. There's loads of stuff that we're doing over there. We're not just doing podcasts. We're not just doing YouTube. We've now got our consulting arm as well. So if you're looking for technical health and safety support, um, or, or maybe you're looking to do some culture improvement, maybe you're looking to have a bit more of a holistic approach to your operational risk management, there is services that we can do to help you. So go check out rebrandingsafety.com for a bit more um, of a modern kind of consultant to work with someone a bit more cool a bit more down to earth go check out rebrandingsafety.com without further ado let's get into my chat on the learning teams podcast with brent sutton i thought it was just a really good opportunity to to catch up and say hello and see how the mad world of uh safety differently uh new view safety two whatever we want to call it how's it all going and, and what you've been finding and treat it like a bit of a year in reflection a year on reflection jesus that's uh it's been a mad year for us at rebranding safety if i'm honest so we um we probably i mean when i started the podcast what coming up to three years ago now we was just uh i kind of thought i had the monopoly on on this new view stuff if i'm honest brent like i'd, I'd not i'd never heard of who said like sydney decker or todd conklin or any i didn't even know who they were like three three four well probably about four maybe even five years ago, four or five years ago, didn't even know who they were. And I thought, God, I've got such a better way of thinking about safety and risk management. I should I should write a book about this um, uh, or I should write blogs or something. I started writing a blog and I realized I can't spell or anything. So we, uh, I was like, oh, maybe I should do a podcast. Started a podcast and, um, and then we did it for like, yeah, like coming up to three years now. Um, and I stumbled across this kind of safety differently stuff and was like, all right, maybe I should read these books um, and have a look. And then we kind of got deep into that safety one versus safety two new view versus old view argument. And I kind of was like, oh, I don't really know what it is. So it must have been about a year ago that we did the uh, safety one, safety two mini series mm-hmm. where we like, we started off with Todd, who had a chat with Todd. But then after Todd, really, we uh, we had Todd and Dom, um, so two kind of very prominent academic voices in so-called new view and so-called old view. Um, 
<clears throat> and then after that, we pretty much spoke to practitioners. And then from there, man, I've just kind of read books, interviewed these people, and then tried to experiment it with my own in my own time. But rebound safety has just gone mad. So in England, I think we're we're still playing around with these things, and I think we're still we're still struggling with it, which I suppose the rest of the world is as well. But ultimately, I think we. We're ultimately, Brent, is we're trying to we're trying to do something with New View, in my opinion, particularly in England. We're trying to do something which goes against the grain of how we run business and how we manage businesses in in our in our kind of ah, what's the word I'm kind of looking for in the in our the way that we've run businesses for so long. Have ultimately we've had in blame, we've had people being the problem we've had segregation we've had you know all of this stuff silos drain drum drummed into us for years and years and years particularly in england particularly in england i think there's always somebody else's fault it's always somebody else. you know we don't take any accountability for our own actions or anything like that so when we're trying to battle with this new view stuff is a challenge in England. It really is to the point where, interestingly, it's a funny little story. <clears throat> the other day, I've got a, a about fourteen month year old uh, baby girl, and um, my neighbours, really lovely neighbours, kind of knocked on the door uh, a couple of weeks back, right? And he said, "Oh, we've got loads of old like kids' books from when our little boy was really young. Wondering if you wanted them um, for when Maggie grows up." And I was like, "Oh, yeah, that's really lovely." So we took these books in, right? I was going through them and uh, had the classic story of Noah's Ark, mm-hmm. like a little kid's version of Noah's Ark, right? Now, I understand this is a religious story, so any of your listeners or if we use the audio, any of the kind of religious listeners of my podcast as well hear this, nothing against religion, you do you, man, you know, whatever whatever helps you, you, you do that. Um, but I, w- I, read, I read through this this book and, uh, well, actually, my, my wife had read a couple of pages and she gave it to me. She was like, oh, James, do you want to have a think about this book? And it had, it was blame ingrained throughout it. Mm-hmm. Like this whole notion of like the world had screwed up and God had punished us. And I was just like, wow, we're indoctrinating my 14-month-year-old daughter, 14-month-old daughter, before she's even old enough to understand that, Ultimately, there's more to a story as to why, as to why people kind of behave how they behave or make decisions that they make, um, and and ultimately that put in context for me the challenges that I've been having over the last year at rebranding safety, trying mm. to trying to talk about all this stuff. It was fascinating. And look, there's, there's no doubt there's a challenge because I think um, that the notion is that a lot of people are trying to um, simplify what all this is and, and I think yeah. that that's where we're going wrong and I remember when I when I first met up with Todd I think one of the things that resonated with me so clearly was what he talked about was that it's not about simplification it's about transparency it's about making things more visible yeah and well, how we make something visible and how we simplify yeah. it is very very different mm. And, and I think our whole focus is simply on that. How do you make something transparent? It's, it's interesting because ultimately I do think we have the challenge here of, of this, this whole issue around simplification. We, we as a profession, 
ultimately have an interest and challenge because we have to simplify the message to communicate to our audience. Inevitably, like the managers that we're trying to communicate this stuff to operational leaders, um, you know, CEOs, they've got so much stuff they're dealing with and we're going to turn up and talk about behavioral science, human factors, resilience, engineering, whatever you want, whatever you want to call it or all of the above. And you're going to start talking about all of this stuff, which essentially is kind of sociology, mm-hmm. psychology, stuff like that. And this guy's like looking at it and he's like, mate, I've got a degree in accountancy. Can you just tell me, you know, wh- when is it one and when is it zero? Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we have got this massive challenge now of we need to simplify a message without oversimplifying it. Um, and then ultimately stop the leadership from simplifying that message because I am seeing a bit of a trend of kind of new view done, in my opinion, very oversimplified, which I've, I'm kind of concerned, Brent, it just becomes another behavior-based safety. It becomes, it, it becomes, yeah. hop just becomes the next behavior based safety that was not used how it was intended to be used. And it just becomes the next problem. So in, in five years' time, we'll have another somebody that writes safety three or writes new, new view. Sure. And, and yeah. And, and sadly, that is, that is what we call productization. Yeah. So um, I, I did a pod, I released a pod yesterday, but I wrote an article for Jeffrey Lith on the Safety Differently website um, last year. And, and I talked about the fact that um, why are we not implementing safety differently differently? Why are we using the same traditional safety one techniques and safety differently? And, and, I, and, I, and I use this language, and if, but if we don't, do safety differently differently, are we drifting towards failure? So so it's no different. I mean, what I've seen is a proliferation. As as the new view becomes more wide, widely appreciated, you've got all these people offering um, certification courses, training courses, um, you know, all the same old things that were always done before. Yeah. Yeah. So the I problem is... Go on, go on, you go. Well, they're, they're productizing it because because they haven't thought about how do we approach it differently. Well, I, I think as well, like they don't know any other. So, like, for such a long time, uh, uh, well, I say they, that's a very sweeping generalization. Oh, yeah. and that, well, we can do that on a podcast. <laughs> just for, uh, yeah. Welcome to the world of sweeping generalizations. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I think that we are so used to productization that it's really hard to step away from that. So I've actually found, and actually this, I got, I got to give the guys a shout out. Um, this actually revelation in my head came from um, reading the safety of work uh, paper by David Provan and Drew Ray, and I think somebody else kind of co-wrote it with them. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, talking about safety work and the safety of work. Mm -hmm. So e.g. how safe is the job as we do the actual job installing a boiler, for example, and then all of the safety work we do, risk assessment, safe systems of work, blah, 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 observations, whatever you want to call them, Um, all of that stuff, and how that kind of influences the safety of work. And and I think I was really kind of 
maybe not something I didn't know, but definitely the paper helped me understand it better, is this separation between impact on the reality of work, work has done, as we would call it, and this other little world of the safety work. And I think it's really interesting when they break down in that paper, they break down kind of work into, in, in, into categories. So you've got like social safety, the stuff mm-hmm. that we say that makes us feel safe, right? So Vision Zero would fall into that category. Um, Lango Rocks, um, what do they call their new view scheme? I can't remember. Uh, next gear, uh, next gear at Lango Rock, things like that. You're you're kind of sweeping um, statements to we're going to keep everybody safe or go home safe, whatever. That's your social safety. It makes us feel safe. We've got like physical safety, guards, PPE, stuff like mm-hmm. that. That's easy. Um, demonstrated safety. So the stuff that we do to demonstrate to external shareholders and stakeholders that what we're doing, e.g. insurers, the regulator, things like that. And then admin safety, like the structures that we have that are administrative that try to influence the safety of work. So all of those are influenced in the safety work, um, but kind of admin work provides the structure within the workplace. And it made me really reflect on it as to like, well, this is really fascinating now, because when we start to really look at what we're doing, if we approach it with this mindset, it allows us to acknowledge that the world likes their badges. They like their productization of stuff. They like their certificates. Let them have it because we're not going to win that battle yet. We might ultimately like to address that issue uh, later on, like the issues with ISOs, the issue that, that we focus so much on the badges and the certificates more than we actually focus on the impact that we have. But ultimately, we can kind of separate that and say that's demonstrated safety. There's a little bit that it does that impacts the working world, but ultimately it's demonstrated safety. It has a value to the organisation because it's helped keeps our insurance premiums down and so on and so forth, keeps the shareholders happy, blah, blah, blah. But the rest of the stuff we do is actually about impacting real safety of work. Sure. So I think there's right now to separate those two worlds because I don't think we're gonna we're gonna impact that that desire for productization, that desire for a certificate and a badge. Well, look, but productization is normal. So so just the example you gave, that's a classic categorization. Mm-hmm. So that's a method of, of simplifying. It's well, categorizing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely. It's an old school approach. It doesn't necessarily mean there's anything wrong with that, though. Well, so so the issue here is, uh, for instance, I would say, for instance, I if I looked at at root cause analysis, that's a categorization. But then, surely you can have you could say the same about safety differently. So in 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 safety differently is right, and so Sydney will say this is old view and this is new view. That's a categorization. That's simplifying. Well, well, that's, so that's that's the issue that we're facing. Um, so if, if I th- if I think to someone like um, uh, someone like Edward Deming, who did some you know really fascinating work, he basically talked about this whole language that you're wanting um, work teams to self improve. Yeah. So how can you create an environment that allows the work teams to self improve, and every yeah. and every work team will have a different method or approach that they use to self-improve. Yes. Because he's saying it's the um, organic nature of that 
is what matters rather than following a physical process. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I agree. Make, yeah. So, 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 so the issue that we have, and I understand this, and particularly when I think about things like hop and learning teams, people struggle with this thing called the organic nature of it. Agreed, Because yeah. they're used to having these um, fixed frameworks or these categorizations, things that they can see and they can touch in, in, in that space. So the moment I've been doing an experiment um, where we're looking uh, at, at a zero training method of gaining um, a competency with learning teams. Okay. Which, which sounds quite bizarre. No training or at all? Or are these people going in at a certain level of, of competence? No. What, so, what are you trying so, 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 so what we're doing, so yeah, so, so we're not saying go on a course or do this or, or do something that's very specific. So, so the way that we're doing that is we've basically, we've, we've defined what would good look like. So what, yeah, what, yeah. Would, what were the things that someone would exhibit? What would be the sum of things that a person would be able to relate to or rationalize? Yeah. And then we're getting people to evaluate where they're at. So yeah. the, what's the current state of knowledge? So we said, here's the future state. Here's your current state. Yeah, yeah. And then we're using an organic mechanism, an organic mechanism that allows those people to basically build their roadmap to move from current state to future state. But at the, at the same time, as they move along that roadmap, they can look back and reflect and see how far they've come. Yeah, okay. So so the example that we've been using is that, um, of course, we actually use a learning team. So we're getting a, a group of people together. And through that learning team, we're basically, they're telling us their stories around what they see is what, what you know, what are their barriers, what are their obstacles, um, what's worked well, what hasn't worked well for them. In, in terms of trying these things. And then from yeah. that, we identify a series of themes that come from that conversation. We then create some form activity so that person can now go out in between that and the next session and try something and reflect on that by themselves. Yeah, then yeah. come back together as a group and the group group reflect on what they found. Yeah, yeah. And then from that, there's the next series of themes and we keep moving down what's called this pathway. Yeah, yeah. Because every person is at a different level and every, per every person is going to have a slightly different path. Does it, mm. so, so, we, so what we've been experimenting with is this whole concept of what we call it um, a cohort mentoring. Yeah, yeah. Where... where our job is to basically facilitate a learning team to understand the key threads and create activities to move people along their continuum and their roadmap. Yeah, yeah. We um. So I in in my in my you know, I suppose in my life I run I run I do lots of things. So we got like Rebound and Safety, obviously, which runs yep. which is a podcast, a YouTube channel, and then and then also we we offer consulting services now, which is brand new. This is right. actually the first 
podcast that we've ever actually publicly announced it. So you've got the exclusive here, Brent. Fantastic. Um, What's it called? Uh, well, we're going to start off with, with, with Rebrand and Safety, but actually the company that sits behind Rebrand and Safety, that owns Rebrand and Safety, is, is called Risk Fluent. Um, so that's been there the whole time. Okay. So our company, our group, I suppose, is actually Risk, risk Fluent. Um, so the consulting service is actually provided by Risk Fluent. But for now... People know the brand rebrand and safety, so we're just going to stick with that, sure. um, and then we'll see how it evolves later on. But anyway, that, the point that what I was I was going to make was what sounds really interesting is is another organisation that um, Risk Fluent owns. Um, so I built, co-founded with uh, Colin Nottage, who runs IMG, mm-hmm. and also called the interest safety podcast um me and him co-founded mid covid um never met each other which is a funny a funny story in its own right um we launched a company called project Miletium. Mm-hmm. um so that essentially is founded on the models of kind of like the mastermind communities which are really popular here in the uk um and probably around the world but i don't know um so basically like in the uk Okay. And I think America, I think, are quite big as well. Um, but essentially, a mastermind community is a group of people coming together to help each other solve problems, right? So we, we kind of say, if people go, what is it? I say, it's kind of like group mentoring. It's kind of like cohort coaching, kind of very similar to what you mm-hmm. just said, right? So we don't go through a particular kind of journey or anything we're not as a company not really trying to achieve anything specific like our aim is not to say we're going to take people in that don't understand new view and then spew them out as new view professionals that's not our aim our aim is just to help people solve problems so it's an open community anybody Mm -hmm. can join it is a paid community so it costs it costs you to join and we run weekly, two weekly uh, calls, so you can turn up whenever you want on a Wednesday at 6 or a Friday at 12. We also run like a book club, a philosophy call, and, mm-hmm. and, and a quarterly event as well. But interestingly, and the reason why I mention it, not not for it to be an advert, is because it's really similar to that kind of experiment that you're talking about. Ultimately, it's the benefit of having people at different journey, at different stages in their own journey no matter where you are in that journey, you still bring value to somebody else that may be further ahead of you in that journey or behind you in that journey. It's that cognitive uh, diversity in a way. So we've seen this like beautiful emergent kind of development in something that we, we kind of knew would be good, but we didn't know it was going to be this good right. in that getting a load of people in, in a call every week and you, you know sometimes we have a call with like loads of people in like the whole community turns up at the moment we've got 30 members we've been going about I don't know, maybe nine months um i think we'll, yeah about nine months nine ten months so we've got like 30 members now um and then so you sometimes you get a call with loads like 15 members and you're like jesus christ this is chaotic and then sometimes you get it with like handful of members mm-hmm. but mine and colin's job and and we've got a couple of people who facilitate calls for us as well um like sam and elisa have done a really good job kind of helping us facilitate calls all we're doing is facilitating conversations you could in a nutshell say they're kind of unstructured learning teams we don't have a desired outcome but ultimately it's very similar so sometimes you'll have a member will come in we we, we can we've got like a base model for our weekly calls we have a topic that we might have decided we're going to talk about or we might 
not as a we've got like a private linkedin group so sometimes i'll right. put on there being like oh, i want to talk about this later um but then what we do have is an opportunity for any of our members to come in and say right i've had a problem today and i need some help so we've got a topic so we're going to talk about learning teams for example today right but james has just turned up in a call and said i've just had this shit hit the proverbial at work and i need i need some help we flip over into what we call kind of coaching mode. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're only allowed to ask questions. So everybody in the community is only allowed to ask in the call is only allowed to ask questions of that person for about five, 10 minutes, depends how long it goes, just so they can understand more of the context. We need to understand the problem. You're unpacking, you're unpacking it. Yeah. yeah. So I might turn up and say, my boss is a dick, right? Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> you, you might go, explain to me why your boss is a dick James and then the next question would be like why do you think he's like that and you build the context to your point um and then we can flip into solution mode so it's really interesting having those cohort conversations um and I think it's unbelievably underutilized in particularly in safety um and I think it's interesting to your point, the reason why I kind of explained that model um, as to why why we kind of talk about that. It's interesting when we flip that over and compare it to training um, and, and what you said there in that we're going to, we're running like a no training experiment, for example. I wonder, not sure I have the answer, but I wonder if it's like, it's not an, it's not an or, it's more of an and, like training has there's an imparting of wisdom that we need to do sometimes. Like there's an imparting of knowledge that we need to do. And I do think training should exist and it does have a space. Um, but I also do think there is a place for cohorts to emerge and emergently emergent to have those emergent conversations and help each other solve problems. Cause what you described to me sounds very similar to what we used to call apprenticeships, except we didn't have those cohorts. So I'd love to see modern day apprenticeships where you've got a relationship with your assessor, but ultimately you're also doing the job and learning from an on-site mentor. But then you're also having conversations with a cohort of people that are all on different points of their journey. And well, you're you have helping to. It. Yeah. So, so, uh, so we, we call it um, learn, do, challenge. Okay. So you have to take on board a new concept. You have to yep. apply that concept. And then you have to challenge. You have to challenge that concept to understand how and why it worked, or how and why it didn't work. But you need to do those three components. Uh-huh. But what we've tried to do is that we're doing it within a framework. Yeah. So so we've described we've described an outcome, and we've basically said that <clears throat> for these outcomes, there's there's three elements. There's someone who's emergent. There's someone who was competent. There's someone who has mastery of skill across these okay. elements. And and people understand where they're at now. And, and by the way, it's, it's not a test. It's not, it's not a, a study. It's, it's, it's we've described, we've used descriptors to demonstrate the types of function or the types of um, scenarios or context around those core competencies and, and a person is able to think where they sit within that frame yeah okay so 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 rather than saying you know um, are you the most amazing facilitator well 
where's the context of that? Okay, so so we ask questions around, um, uh, you know, about how you would deal with with someone in a, in a disruptive group, or how you know get you to to think about different components around that to break that down. But the objective here is to basically uh, move people in a in a way where they not only gain that new knowledge through that process of exchanging conversation and also undertaking some form of activity. Because th- these activities, they're not pre-built. These activities get created as a thread of an outcome. Yeah. So the challenge for us is we have to create something for for the group, for them to see. Um and what we've also done is we've actually physically produced a journal. And that and that journal also contains those core principles, those core concepts. And we're allowing people through that process of a journal to create an actual framework of reflection. Because we, we take for granted that someone can reflect. I tell you, mm-hmm. that's a big call, mate. That's a huge call. And the power of it as well. Yeah, like but, I, I don't anyone appreciates the power of stopping and having to think about what you just read or listened to or discussed. Yeah. So, so part of that process is that we're getting the teams to self-reflect, mm. reflect with someone outside the cohort that they have a relationship with, yeah. and then do a group reflection. Yeah. And. All through this process, what's happening, James, is that these skills are building for people. Yeah. Versus, versus when I think about training, it's come in and be told. I, I, I think of it as an equivalent of water torture. Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna pour water on you and hopefully something's gonna sink in. <laughs> okay. And and right. if and if you don't get it right. Torture works, but yeah, I get, I get the analogy. Have, have you been on training courses where some bits of it have really been interesting, and other bits of it, you know, you you're willing the, the you're losing I, I the will to live. I probably delivered some of those training courses as well, Brandon. If I'm honest, yeah, and, and that is because the training course is a blunt instrument, yes, and doesn't take into account a person's prior understanding, and the problem uh, with because they're blunt, because because a course has some learning intentions or some learning outcomes. Yes. Very seldom do we do any prior assessment of where that person sits within that. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So so they're quite blunt, and 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 the reason why some parts of the course found you found interesting is probably because those things related to your beliefs, and when the person spoke about things that didn't relate to your beliefs, you turned off. Yeah. But ultimately though, I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting discussion because in the, in the UK, the HSE um, published a very, I think it was quite a while ago now, but they, they put out a paper that said that manual handling training does not, ex- does not achieve um, improved technique and it does not show any evidence to reduce 
musculoskeletal disorders or anything like that. So basically, it it doesn't achieve what we're trying to do via manual handling training, which is improve technique and reduce injuries, right? That's what we're trying to achieve. And there's no evidence in this research, just one paper, and, and I've only seen to have found one so far, this one paper by the Health and Safety Executive, who in the UK are the enforcers of our of our management towards uh, the risk of health and safety. And yet we're like still doing manual handling training. And interestingly, when I challenged the, um, challenged the, uh, an officer of that same health and safety executive, I said, right, look, you've, you've put, you published this paper, your science division have published this paper, right? That says manual handling training doesn't work. That's basically what it said. It, it said that we should, as employers, but it did caveat this point by saying that more research needs to be done, but it said ultimately employers should invest in strength and conditioning, fitness, health, well-being, and so on, right? So why are the enforcement agencies not reacting to that? They are still requesting sure. to see and train them. And, and, and when I kind of challenged that, they didn't really have a response. They basically said, if you if we turn up and you haven't done uh, manual handling training, but you've just subsidized the gym, then we would enforce on you. So I was like, okay, that's not really my point. But my, my, it, what the interesting point is that that doesn't seem to have sparked a further conversation to challenge the, the effectiveness of how we traditionally deliver training. Yeah. I, I do, however, yep. and this would be my kind of question to you, I do think that an organization does need to sometimes, not all the time, sometimes I think they do need to state we're trying to achieve this learning outcome. Oh, yeah, so and, and that, that, yeah, absolutely. So don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not saying don't train. Yeah. I think there's a sort of situation here that when I think about how we're trying to help people um, embed the new view of safety into everyday practice. Okay, yeah. We're taking a bunch of competent professionals who yeah. have who have spent most of their life acting in a expert or a technical capacity yeah. of their work. And we're now asking them to be a facilitator and a change management person. Yeah. See, I think this is interesting then because I think this is where this this slight misinterpretation that I've had of what you were saying is really interesting because that's what I think has happened in this new view safety as well. In that my interpretation of yours was this kind of sweeping generalization that training doesn't work and we should have this more emergent kind of way of learning, which it has a value, but also also so does training. But to your point, the scope the scope was when we're talking about new view safety or safety differently, e.g. we're talking to a load of competent professionals, e.g. they've already had loads of training. So I think it's really interesting. Well, they've got somewhere. They've got to a point somewhere. And and I suppose what we're saying in safety, and it doesn't matter whether it's safety, whether it's quality, operational, it doesn't really matter what it is. These people having to move between these constant two worlds of being a world of being an expert and a world of being a facilitator. And they're two well, different mental models. Yeah. And, and but the point is we're having to move between them. 
Well, isn't, isn't that the nature of work, though? With work being a social and technical system, that's inevitable. We, yep. we have to, what you've just said, a facilitator is social and, and expertise is technical, in my opinion, if we were going to loosely tie those yeah, two just together. Loosely. I mean, yeah. yeah. So- it, it, it's technical and social. And, and ultimately, if we are operating in a social technical system, we are always going to have to flip between the two. Yeah, but the... Th- but the thing is, that's, um, I suppose, what we keep coming back to. How do you build that skill to do that? Mm. Because one thing is really comfortable, and one thing is uncomfortable. Yeah. One, one, yeah, thing, this... is, one thing is really structured. One thing is really organic. Yeah. Okay. That, that doesn't sit well with, with, with people. Does that make sense? And yeah, no, loads of sense. I mean, it yeah. makes loads of sense. And, and, and ultimately, I think, Brent, the, the issue is that we have loads of technical people in the workspace, lo- and, and we train the shit out of people. We mm-hmm. build technical experts left, right, and center, right? We do it all the time. We don't – when have you ever seen anyone go, that's our social expert over there, or that's our social team? We got Here's our technical teams. Here's our social experts, or here's our social team. You don't see it. We don't address the social issues within the workplace at all, in my opinion. Or traditionally, we don't at least. No, it, but, but I think yeah. that's what New is trying to do, is bring social, sociology, psychology, or those kind of types of philosophies and practices into the workplace. Which is what Deming did in the 1930s, 40s, 50s. Which just seemed to have fell flat on the floor and no one listened to and just went, nah, fuck that, we won't talk about that. Well, so once, once again, what's interesting... <laughs> is that what's really interesting is that when Deming went to Japan at the end of World War II under the Marshall Plan and and the Americans were trying to rebuild Japan and Deming's involvement was how how can you rebuild a country but only make use of what they've got wow. so these were the underpinning stuff around around these things how can we make use of what we've got? Because you're not you, you can you can't go and build infrastructure. So you've got to yeah. make use of what you've got. And if you if you think about how that then got picked up within that culture and how that got developed, then the Americans came back in and then took that and they then productized it and called it lean. They called it Six <laughs> Sigma. They called it all these things. They productized it. But yeah. what was was interesting, what the Japanese valued the most was the reflective component of the process, mm. not the physical process. Yeah. What do we do in Western societies? We take the physical process. Yeah. It's fascinating that you that you kind of use that as an example, actually. I was listening to, I was trying to find it now. I think, I think, and I might be wrong, it was the, a podcast called The World of Work, which is, a, I think, a UK-based podcast, um, if it wasn't, I'm going to stab a guess that it was the other podcast I listen to all the time, which is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. But either way, it was one of those two. And they were talking about, they had a lady on, and it was kind of like it was kind of like rebranding Lean, which mm-hmm. piqued my interest because obviously of what I'm doing with, yeah. with or trying to do through the podcast. And um, it was fascinating that this lady basically was talking about exactly what you've uh, you spoke about and the philosophies of lean or, or lean six Sigma that she was talking about. I was like, holy shit, this is 
this is straight up like new view kind of safety. Like this really aligns with what we're trying to do. Whereas traditionally in my experience, and I've worked within Lean Six Sigma systems, um, I've been part of projects where we've, we've implemented that stuff. For me, Lean Six Sigma was pure just driving efficiency. That's all That's all we were ever trying to do is drive faster, like kind of like the NASA faster, cheaper, whatever mm-hmm. it was, right? Kind of like that. That was my experience of it. Therefore, we end up in this efficiency throwing us trade-off that Eric talks about, right? But when she was talking about it on this podcast, I was like, oh, my God, this is this is not my experience of Lean at all. Right. And and. Point. She was talking about it from this point of view of like, well, it, it, it just, to be honest, if I was going to summarize what she was talking about, I'd say new view safety, 100%. Mm-hmm. I think it was exactly the same, maybe a slight difference in wording or language, but ultimately the philosophies were so closely aligned. And I was just like, wow. And then we've, we've kind of seen that same productization and then misuse Mm-hmm. That's happened within happened within behavior based safety, in my opinion. If you, if, I'll probably get shot down for this, but if you go and listen to Scott Geller, who's kind of like the, sure. the original gangster of behavior based safety, the godfather of it all, he says the environment defines the behaviors. Mm-hmm. Now, copy and paste that into Hop, which Todd always says context drives behavior. That's what the same. Yeah. That's the same exact saying, right? But yet, behavior-based safety has been kind of demonized as, as safety one. So we've productized it. We've done it crap, in my opinion. We've misused it, and then we've put it somewhere else. And then we've gone, hey, let's do hop. Cool. Here's hop, new safety, or whatever we want to call it. And we're just going to do exactly the same with that. We're going to simplify it. We're going to productize it, which I, I, I still stand by my previous point. It does have a value, but we need to careful that that productization that that badge that we need and and all of that stuff doesn't devalue what we're ultimately trying to achieve yeah well i would say that that anything we do needs to evolve not devolve yes so so for instance you know when 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 we wrote the book the practice of learning teams with with todd it, it was purely around that basis of uh i i recognized very early on that productization is normal in any life cycle in actual fact, yeah. there's a really good book called from Thomas A. Moore called um, uh, Crossing the Chasm. Okay. Where it basically talk, it talked about that, you know, the standard bell curve, you move from you know, early adopters, you yeah, know, yeah. In, innovators, see. early adopters, mainstream, laggard type markets. And, and yeah, it always yeah. said that the companies that are at the beginning of the bell curve are never the same companies that own the bell curve. Yeah. yeah. And, and it gave some really good examples. Um, and, and this is showing my age up, but but one of those out, the examples was the personal digital assistant. Okay. okay. The original product was called a um, an Apple Newton. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's weird. I literally watched the um, yeah. Steve Jobs yeah. thing yesterday. Was the Apple Newton. I've heard of Newton before. But yeah. yeah, but But the product that got all the mainstream market was a product called the Palm Pilot. Uh, yes, which I've heard of, yeah. Yeah, okay, that but owned the mainstream market. Yesterday, yeah, yeah. Okay, but then the product that killed it was the iPhone. Yeah, yeah. Because the iPhone integrated a PDA into yeah. a telephone. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So Apple, who created the space, 
didn't own the space. Yeah. They got taken out by someone who could commoditize. And then they then did the same later on with the iPhone. That is correct. And and, and, and so so what happens here is and and, and I'm seeing it now, um, where those organizations that are early adopters, um uh, innovators, it's all based off personalities. And the moment mm-hmm. that personality leaves the organization, all that stuff just dies. Well, that that, um, that comes back to kind of Simon Sinek's work around why, isn't it? That's very, you know, when you saw Steve Jobs not in Apple um, and, and leave Apple, they lost that sense of why. Um, yep. The same thing with, with numerous brands. Um, and, and that's because uh, they've not been focusing on embedding it into everyday work. They've yeah. been treating it as a project. And that would be the same with anything that we do, particularly new view, safety, hot. Yeah. And that's why lean dies, and that's why all these other things die, is because um, what we achieve. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so if we go back to it, um, so training for me is about building fundamental building blocks. But, but if I was think, if I was to think about something like manual handling, um, it's not about training the person in a physical method. That's one component. We should also yeah. be providing them with that that basic knowledge and that grounding around the mechanics of the body of a person. Yeah. And, 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 if, and, if, and if, I, if, I, if I go back to risk management, which is my passion, pure risk management, we're yeah. supposed to establish scope, context, and criteria. Yeah. Okay. So, so for me, someone who is competent isn't someone that can tell me how to lift a box or demonstrate to me lifting a box. Someone who is competent is someone who can tell me the different types of situations that are likely to arise mm. and when lifting a box becomes appropriate or inappropriate or what's their alternative mechanism they would use. When they would, yeah. when would they back out? Does that make sense? No, it because, makes a lot of sense. Because that's the risk component of it. And, yeah. and, and if I come back to this whole thing about systems, hazards are binary. If we go back to what Todd talks about, if you put all your effort in to understanding how a hazard releases energy and how to manage that release of energy, that's binary. Okay? Yeah, but yeah, go on. I, I feel like I know what you're going to say next, but carry on. But the problem here we've got is that if I go back to risk management, the purpose of risk management is to reduce uncertainty by introducing certainty. Yeah. Therefore, whatever risk is left over, which what we is what we call residual risk. Yeah. The organization is saying it can do no more. It has done the best it can. And whatever risk is left over, the organization is either having to accept it or tolerate it. Does it make sense? Yeah. And then that residual risk, it picks it up and it passes it to the worker. And it says, you sort out the rest, the rest of this shit. Yeah. We, we've done everything we can, and we're going to now pass it over to you. Yeah. And all the shitty systems we use can simply focus on what we put in place, not what we left over. Yeah. And we wonder why things go wrong. Because ultimately, I mean, if we were to, I kind of, we're both singing off the same hymn sheet here, but... 
ultimately, if we're going to talk about it, to, you know, to your point, hazard is binary, um, but ultimately the situation in which that hazard may, be, may arise or become energised, for example, to use your kind of uh, phraseology, is not binary. No, it's, it's dynamic. dynamic. And, and continues and, and, to evolve and change, has to. And be very complex and, and so on, because the hazard will always be the hazard and we will do whatever we do to maybe... So, for example, a fire is a fire. And if you touch mm-hmm. a fire, it, it's going to hurt. Yeah. But ultimately, it's the interaction between a human, which is in inherently a complex being, that makes a hazard then become a risk. So the issue which which you're kind of, you've, you've alluded to and, and explained quite well is that the issue is we deal with the hazard. We don't deal with the interaction with the hazard very much. And if we do, we only try and just block the interaction then what we don't do is then just deal with the the complex nature of the situation Mm -hmm. so we don't the individual situations we just deal with this really simple uh, analogy of hazard block hazard that's all we do hazard blocking that and Uh, and and our systems are forcing people to evaluate or assess that complexity yeah Yet, and what we wrote about in our new white paper, the learning from everyday work, is our systems should actually be designed to allow workers to critically appraise. Because that it's a it's that appraisal skill, it's that critical thinking skill that allows them to back out. Because well, that's, because that's, that's that's very that's sounds very similar. I haven't read your white paper yet. I think I, yeah. if I remember rightly send it to me i think sure. haven't you? Um, i'm going to have a read of it um but i haven't read it yet but it sounds very similar to the Kinevin framework by dave dave snowden you know sure. kind of breaks up the 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 problem that you're dealing with so you're in a, you're in a position of uncertainty basically um and then you you've got to decide well what situation are we dealing with are we dealing with clear and simple e.g cause equals effect very clear are we dealing with complicated e.g cause this might be the effect but i'm going to get some expert help or complex which is cause and we can only tell what the effect will be with hindsight or chaotic which is just chaotic yeah. as we all know what that but, but, but if so, you, yeah look at you you're 100 right but if, but if we think about workers um say for instance if, if you look at say where dynamic risk is truly visible like construction space is a good example yeah okay uh, no one ever gets killed by a new hazard okay People get killed by a hazard that's well known. The controls are well known. Yeah, yet, very yet true. We, yet we're surprised when someone gets killed. Yeah. Okay. You know, which, every which, year, the same people get well, not the same people. Well, yeah. The same yeah. situations kill the same type of worker every year. Yeah. I'm and with we, you, mate. And then we have this conflict because, um, because we focus on why it went wrong rather than why it went right. If you look at why it goes right most of the time, not 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 saying that right means it was successful, but right means that no one got hurt from the energy release. Those workers have built really good problem solving skills. Yeah. Okay. And one of the interesting things here is does the system support problem solving skills? Or is the system trying to devolve problem solving skills? No. So our viewers, yeah, let's, create a, let's create a system that actually 
takes problem solving to that next level of what we call critical appraisal. Because well, now, now we come back to the point of 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 uncomfortable the the hmm, how do I say that we we are uncomfortable with uncertainty. If we're going to give employees on the shop floor the skills to solve problems on the shop floor, that's uncertain for me. So this is this is as a leader, I'm like, mm, can yeah, I? But, but you've already that, passed it over. Yeah, but that comes back to kind of like Clive Lloyd's work around trust. You know, it's talking about trust in the worker, which we haven't done for a very long time. We, we, we've never done, in my, in my experience. It's, we've gone for a very engineering place. Ironically, what we've done with humans is try to stop them from thinking for themselves by having procedures and creating clones. But then whilst we're doing all of that, there's scientists and engineers over in universities around the world trying to create robots that can think for themselves. Sure. I think that's very that we're trying to create robots that can think for themselves and then we're stopping humans thinking for themselves. That's right. But, but the only thing, that, James, I, it, I, the only thing but, I ever agree with with the regulator is that if your risk register said that this is the work that people do and the consequence is death and they die, then you need to be held to account. Oh yeah, definitely. I don't disagree with that. But I think just to come back on your on your previous point, I think what we have to acknowledge is that there is there is a sense of psychological safety that comes with all of these systems and and what we think we we maybe it's a false sense of psychological safety, it's a false sense of safety, but creating or, or uh, forcing a worker to be you know, left foot, right foot, left foot. This is the situation. Me as a leader, I feel psychologically safe and I can go home and sleep at night because I know that work is really simple because we've got all these procedures. So when we move them away and we tell the work, the leaders, actually this is really uncertain and we need to build high levels of competence and give our workforce, um, you know, high levels of understanding around problem solving, dealing with complexity, dynamic risk management, that's pure uncertainty, and and we're not we haven't we're not used to that. Sure, we, I, we don't do that very well. Maybe I'll take a different approach. If if we think about how we learn, as a really good example, because a lot of the stuff that we do is all based on um, good adult learning principles, the science of learning rather than the science of safety. It's about it's about learning, and, and it's the old story. When we're encountering something new. We, 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 called, we call it you're unconsciously incompetent. You don't know what you don't know. Yep. Okay. And the first phase is to now know that you don't know. Yep. Okay. So you become consciously incompetent. Yep. Yeah, it makes sense. And then we want to move you to now being consciously competent. You now know uh-huh. that you do know. Yeah. But then what happens is that consciousness simply becomes that habitual component and then people become what's called unconsciously competent. They are performing an action without having to think about it. Yeah. And and the piece of work that we're doing at the moment is how do we get people to reconnect back into that space? How do we get them to to bring that presence of mind because the brain is saying 
you know the stuff, you've got it handled, it doesn't go wrong, you know, life is yeah. good, all those things. So when yeah. I, when I look at when I look at say you know different sectors with with you know with dynamic risk, you've got a bunch of highly intelligent individuals. Yeah, and they've built Definitely. those things over time. And when you try to bring something new in, you are challenged about how you can bring it in, because yeah. you are now you are now trying to challenge um, something that they are unconsciously competent in. Does that make sense? Because because it's become second nature to them, and it's natural when you're trying to say to them, "Well, we want it done this way," that they're going to f- um, push back because that doesn't feel natural to them. the The thing that we've been looking at is that our systems are created to make people um, unconsciously competent because they're asking them to assess and evaluate. Yeah, and we, we kind of do that through like standard standardization, standard operating procedures. It's the same every day. You don't need to worry about it. As long as you know this procedure, off you go. Yeah, so, so what we've been exploring and what we talked about in the white paper when is there an opportunity to learn? Because learning has to be deliberate action. Mm. Most learning that happens in the workplace is a byproduct of an interface. It's unintentional. Yeah. We're saying, how do we make learning intentional? And of course, people, when they think about learning, they default to training. And we're saying, no, <laughs> that's not what we're saying. Mm. Okay. Because, because I, and, and what we explored is that we could take a group of workers and, for instance, we could say to them, um, and this is a classic one, we could use some of Todd's language around sticky. Sticky is a really good example. In the work that you do, what is the biggest hazard that you face? What's your sticky? What's the stuff that can kill you? Okay, and that's great. And, and they can recall. They can tell us, you know, working from height, below ground, you know, Working near high high voltage electricity, they they can tell those things. They can tell us the hazard, because they, they yeah. it's every day. We then ask them to explore with us. Can you could, um, what are the things that you rely on, to stop you from getting hurt when you do that work? Yeah. And what they're telling us is in their head, the stuff that they, their system, if that makes sense, what they think functions for them. And no surprising, if there's a group of people, you might get some variation from that. We then want them to resonate with that and reflect on that. So we ask them four four simple things. We say to them, can you think of a situation when you were doing that work? Can you think of a situation where it didn't make sense to you? Or where it was different from what you'd normally expect? Or the job was a bit more difficult or you, or you felt a little bit of unease, or it didn't feel right. Can you, can you give us a situation? Mm. And all the guys can share with us a situation. And we call that the four Ds: dumb, different, difficult, and dangerous. Yeah. But we're getting them to now resonate with what they think matters against four things, and think of a situation because now in their brain they're recalling a story in their head. Yeah. And then we get them to resonate that story against nine organizational factors. So for existent, for example, we might say to them, so in that, in that situation, did you have to um, 
use the rules? Did you have to make new rules up? Did you not, were you in a position where you couldn't use the rules? And if we just get them to reflect on that, and we take them through these nine different little conversations, so that at the end of it, we then ask them this question, what would you now rely on? So at the beginning, they told us what they relied on. They've now reflected over that thing against against nine organizational factors. And how often do you think they would now come up with something different? So? Yeah, all the time. Correct. And that's at difference. We're taking them from a current state of knowledge and moving them to a new state of knowledge. And that's learning. Mm. Because in that group, no surprise, James, that in that group, not everyone was on the same page. No, of course not. Correct. So through that group conversation, and by the way, this whole thing we just talked about was, is, is less than 10 minutes yeah. <laughs> to do this. Which well, uh, is interesting. I've run a, a, a dis, uh, an exercise a few times um, when when running workshops and stuff with agents, the same number of, I think I've got them. No, I haven't got them. I thought I had them. Um, just a, a, pa- a little, a little kind of baggie of, of Lego bricks. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, giving, I'm giving away my trade secrets now, Brent. Sure. Um, well, we, we use Jenga blocks, but that's okay. It's very similar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really, cause I nicked it off someone else anyway. So um, it's, um, is there a couple of yellow bricks and a, a couple of so I've got some yellow uh, some Lego bricks here. Mm-hmm. I love Lego, um, so I give them a couple of Lego bricks, mixed bag of yellow and red. Mm-hmm. So I give them the bag; they're all broken up, and I say to the room, "Just build a duck, please." Mm-hmm. Everyone normally, everyone looks at her. What do you mean? Yeah. I mean build a duck. I don't overthink it. Just build a duck. It's the duck. But, and I go, and then normally there's a there's a bit more lingering, and I say, depending on where I am. So if I'm if I'm down south, I'm Midlands, so mm-hmm. I can get away. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm down south in England, you have got a bit of a north south divide, so, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Go, bloody hell, you got ducks down here in the south, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I go, you got ducks up here in the north, haven't you? And uh, and like to playing a bit, and they say, yeah, 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 we've got ducks. So you know what a duck looks like? Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, build a bloody duck then. Build a duck, yeah. It's a simple command. Okay, fine. So they all start building a duck. And by the end of the time, you know, they get a couple of minutes to build this duck, right? And when I get bored, I'll go, right, come on in, hurry up, build your ducks. They're finished building a duck. So I say, right, everyone look at your duck. Now look at the duck next to you. I guarantee they're not the same. Look at the duck the other side. Is it the same? No. Right, have a look around the room. Has anybody got the same duck as anybody else? I've done this this exercise mm-hmm. a million times, yep. right? And... I've had the same duck twice. Once was they cheated. They just cooked the lady next to this other lady. And the other time was just this complete fluke, which was amazing to watch. In that you had three people, one in one corner, one in the middle of the room, and one at the other corner, and they all built the same duck, exactly the same, which was beautiful to see. Yeah. Right. And there's no way they copied each other. They built the same duck. But ultimately, that's the only time I've had the same duck in the room. They always build different ducks. And it's just such a good example of two things. One, we perceive the problem very differently and, and the solution very differently, e.g. 
how we saw a duck and how we're going to recreate that duck with the tools that we have. So as an organization, we provide the Lego bricks mm-hmm. and we say, that, but the person in that moment builds the duck. So who's saying that my duck is not the right duck? If we are trying to create the same duck as an organization throughout the organization, we need to provide instructions to do that. But ultimately, that's a very simple system. Cause, bricks, outcome or effect. Yeah. Right? We don't deal with that in the workplace. So therefore, what we need is here are some bricks and here are 20 or 30 different types of ducks that we would like to receive at the end. Please just build your duck. Oh, I've built a duck that doesn't exist on that 20, 30. Now it's 20 to 31 ducks. Yeah. You know, because emergently we solve problems. So it depends. And that's why I really like Dave Snowden's work um, in that it depends on the problem we're trying to deal with. If we're dealing with a really simple cause and effect kind of problem, then we can provide some instructions to make it easier and say, there you go, here's some instructions, here's some resources, off you go, build me a duck. Are we dealing with a really complex situation in which we need our emergent process? Yeah, but to me, I like to use the motorway analogy or the freeway analogy for our North American listeners. Um, uh, over here, we have a thing called um, Vision Zero, which is yeah. that we want to build roads that don't kill people, but we're not building roads to stop accidents. Mm. Is that interesting? Yeah, so, so we're, building, we're building roads because the risk of death is when two cars, oncoming cars come together. Yeah, so don't build roads that are two oncoming cars right next to each other. Yeah, so so the so the and and the way that we're doing and 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 the analogy is that we establish our upper and lower control limits, which is good risk management. So we put in barriers on the left and barriers on the right. There are upper and lower control limits. Okay, but as a society, we also feel that we need to paint lines and put speed signs in. Yeah, because we're expecting that the majority of people will be courteous and indicate three seconds before changing lanes. Yeah. And the majority of people may be courteous and and keep to the speed limit. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. But the road has been designed, those left barriers and right barriers have been designed to allow chaos to occur. Yeah. What it's doing is it's stopping that chaos from leading to a fatality event. Yeah. Yeah. And and also like there's there's no appetite there either. So interestingly, we you brought into the notion of speed and speed limits, right? Mm-hmm. So when I went on my honeymoon, uh I'm on my honeymoon in Australia and right. um we went to a Brisbane uh on we went on a cruise actually and then we spent one day in Brisbane. And when we were in Brisbane, it was one of the best days we had, right? And we had these we uh whiz found on these electric scooters, how you get around, right? So on these electric scooters, and we were going down this road on these electric scooters. So we downloaded the app. We've got scooters. Wicked. We're having some banging fun. We're going down the, the pathway. Um, in England, not allowed to ride on the pathway. I don't know if that's the case in Australia. No, if you it can. is, we definitely. You can do it. Yeah, you can. Nor if we weren't allowed to. Um, but we're going down the pathway on these scooters, right? And we took a left into what looked like to us just a cat, another pathway turned out because in Australia, you don't really have horrible weather like us. Your shopping malls 
in Brisbane wasn't an enclosed building like it is in England. It was just this open, lovely kind mm-hmm. of roof. But it looked like an outside market to us. It looked like a shop street. So we took a left, right? And the scooter slowed down. I'm like, Let's get, oh, my scooter's running out of battery. And then my wife's scooter slowed down. I'm like, hang on a minute, what's going on here? The scooter, I'd acknowledge we were in an area we're not allowed to ride the scooter, so it mm-hmm. started slowing the right? And then my phone went off, bing, you can't ride your scooter in this area. And then we got told by a couple of others, hey, can't ride your bloody scooter in here, mate. And, uh, <laughs> and we turned around and off we go. That was a terrible Australian accent. I apologise. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a New Zealander, so that's okay, mate. That's all, it's all good. <laughs> really just, I really just offended you then. <laughs> oh, no, um, no, it's fine. <laughs> And um, we, we turned we turn around and we, and we left and off we go, right? So we have technology that can acknowledge where we are and, and slow down the machine that I am on. That, which is a we, good engineering control. Exactly. So we could remove that human error of me driving too fast in the wrong location. So you're telling me a car, I could buy a new car tomorrow, and it could, but there's no appetite to, it could have a device in it that tells me when I'm going near a school, for example, I'm going to slow down. It's going to force me to slow down to 20 miles per hour, completely removing the human factor. Well, maybe not completely, but removing the human factor of that environment. Yeah. Well, Tom would say to you that allows you to fail, but to fail safely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is, did you learn from that? Uh, Well, we didn't go back into that shopping mall on the scooters. That's for sure. Um, Did it make us go any faster or, or any slower in an environment? I'm not really sure. Um, so so if you think about that system, there was the physical engineering control, yeah, which then created in your mind curiosity. Yeah. In your case, you're saying, what the if? Okay. <laughs> That's curiosity. Okay. Then there was a secondary control, which is a message to your phone explaining the condition that's occurred. Yeah. It's now linked the event and the condition together for you to actually learn from that. Yeah. 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 Because, because in actual fact, they probably didn't really think about it, but they actually have done those two things together. But how often does safety actually link those two things together? How often does it give context? Never. And this is, see the irony here. They're trying to, because learning comes from the context, not from the control being pulled into place. Yeah. It's the context that matters. It's really interesting that that you use that kind of analogy because recently, as I I kind of said earlier, I've got a a, a very young daughter. Yep. And um, I've been kind of, you know, watching her explore the world, take risks, find out what hurts and what doesn't. Yeah. yeah, being curious all the time, 100%. That's all she does now. It's fascinating to watch. And I'm putting on my human performance, my risk management hat, and I'm thinking back to what would my mum have said to me if I was, say, running in the tiled kitchen when it was wet? Mm-hmm. My mum would say, be careful, James. Come out of there. Be careful. Come on, out, out, out. Mm-hmm. What she didn't tell me is... James, have a think about where you are. Look at the floor. The floor, the floor's wet. What do you think that's going to do? And make me think about it. So what we try to do with my daughter now, even though she's only 14 months, she doesn't really get it, but we're getting ourselves into the practice of it, 
is, is explain, asking her, challenging her to think about her situation. Right. Where are you? What 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 do you think? Do you think that's going to be hot? That's hot, baby. What do you think is going to happen there? Uh, if you touch that, it's going to be hot. And eventually, you know, hopefully, we'll we'll start engaging in conversation with her as she grows older. And but I'm hoping that that's going to teach her to critically think about her environment and not to rely on somebody who's older or higher in the hierarchy or whatever sure. to tell her what's safe and what's unsafe. She decides what's safe and unsafe for her in that moment. And if she wants to take a risk, that's cool, man. You you know, the floor is wet. If you want to run in here, that's cool. You take that risk. But So, understand so the con- you didn't teach her the physics of drag coefficient between two <laughs> surfaces? Not quite yet, no. no, oh, no I, I am, my, my daughter at 14 months, she was already, she, she would have had a whiteboard out by then. Okay, doing thermal dynamics. I, I'm disappointed. Me aspire to your level of <laughs> My daughter's 15 now, completely feral, but there's a whole <laughs> different situation. And I've, I've brought her a first car. And, oh, yeah. and and we're doing dri- we're doing driving lessons on a private road because in this country you can't learn to drive till you're 16, but um okay. that's, that's right. But hey, I mean I, I'm just preparing and and once again we're doing the three basics, which is braking and yep. and steering and uh-huh. speed, and that's what we're focusing on is the basic dynamics of 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 function of 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 that vehicle, and she's having a great time. Um. But yeah, so uh, but I think the challenge here is there there is no easy answer to any of this. But part of what we've been exploring, James, in our new white paper, was this whole concept of of the weak signals that Eric's been focusing on. Yeah, and, and all the work before that. And and there's no doubt that that and once again, I I released a very controversial um, video of Heinrich's pyramid morphing into Eric Honagel's um, circles of learning. Very controversial. Okay. Okay. Because what Eric talks about is he basically says that you have to look at everyday work to look for frequency and similarity because you won't see it in accidents and incidents. Yeah. And I agree because, because what he's saying is that there is a, there is a low, there is a lower frequency of accidents compared to incidents and there's a lower frequency of incidents compared to everyday work. Yeah. We don't have to put a, phys- a physical number on it. <laughs> okay, and he uses concentral circles to establish that. Whereas Heinrich used a pyramid. Yep. And, and someone chucked some numbers in, and that created ratios. But Heinrich was yep. saying the same thing. Yeah. We have... Less accidents than incidents, less incidents than near misses, less near misses than unsafe acts. Makes sense? So yeah. everyone's saying the same stuff. It's just the language of the day. Yeah. But if we want to understand if our system can support people to be successful, we have to look out for everyday work. Yeah. And the notion that we're challenging at the moment is that organizations have to use an intervention model at the moment to try and understand that. So whether it, whether there are observations, whether the audits, even a learning team, a learning team is still a form of intervention because the intervention yeah. is being asked for by the organization, not being asked for the workers. Yeah. So what we've been exploring, can we do something that is worker-led? Can we do something that is worker-led and supported by the organization? 
So we've we've brought back the iceberg analogy, the iceberg theory. Yeah, yeah. Which is to basically say that organisations can only see the stuff above the waterline. Mm-hmm. Anything they claim to do to look below the waterline can never tell them the mass of the iceberg. Uh-huh. Can only show them little bits of it. And the only people that really know that happens below the waterline are the workers. Because yeah. the workers are having to deal with all that uncertainty that's left over. Make sense? Having to make sense of the rules. Having to make sense of all those things that happen every day. Mm-hmm. So how can we harness that? So that's what we've been exploring, how to harness that. And, and the way we're proposing to harness that is by getting workers to share their narrative, their stories... Yeah, And from that, we're using some AI technology that strips out the threads from those stories to identify weak signals. Mm. But more importantly, is we're taking the emotional sentiment of the worker's language and applying that to those key threads. So the example, we, we, we had a bunch of workers and... and um, um, basically they're sharing their stories and, and, and we're using some technology for them to share it which which just happens by themselves and the, the keyword around mask wearing kept coming up but the yeah. word mask was coloured red which meant that it was a negative sentiment right yeah so red's negative blue's neutral green's positive so the yeah. organisation is being curious and saying well why, why is the mask use coming up so often and it's negative and when they looked at the narrative from the workers and there were things like there were a group of contractors on site today with racial slogans on their masks we approached a group of contractors who weren't wearing masks and we got told to F off we went to our supervisor and asked why aren't we enforcing mask wearing and got told to mind our own business Now, do you think that stuff's happening quite often? Yeah, it must be for them to be bringing it out. Yeah, correct. Okay. Now, do you, do you think the organisation knew about that? Mm, that's a good question. Yeah. So, uh, by, by, judging by the reaction is you, that they asked you, why is it coming up red? I'm going to stab a guess. No. No, that's, that's, that, that's correct because they can only see the strong signals. They can't see the weak signals. Yeah. So if that had developed into a punch-up, mm. an altercation, that became a strong signal. Yeah, you wouldn't have a choice but to see that one. Okay, it makes, and the investigation they would have employed would have not have identified all those weak signals. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because Because they're talking to the parties that were involved. They're not talking to what normal looked like in, the, in that environment. And, and that's the issue. So, so yeah. what we're trying to do is we're trying to look at the moment, how, how, can, how can our systems influence the future, not change the future, how can our systems influence the future by understanding the present, not the past? Yeah. So investigations understand the past. We're trying to understand the present. It's emergent practice, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And how can our systems then listen to those things and improve to become more resilient? 
So that that's what that's that's the stuff that we've been working on at at, at the moment. But but what we've been finding is that we've been splitting the difference between what workers learn and what the organisation learns. Nice, yeah. And that's not talked about in the new view. No. And so, because what we're saying is that if we can do things that help workers to 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 do more critical appraisal rather than evaluating or assessing, that gives them that better capacity to understand uncertainty. Yeah. Because many of the things, because I'm on this view that we have to move away from trying to fix things and start to better understand them. Okay, peeps, hope you enjoyed that, my conversation with Brent over on the Lend Teams podcast. Hope you enjoyed that. Hope you got something out of it. Don't forget to check out Paradigm Human Performance, the Learning Organization webinar, and just generally the amazing team at Paradigm. Don't forget to check out Project Meletum to get your first month free. And don't forget to go to Rebranding Safety for loads of stuff that we're doing, social media influencing solutions, consultancy solutions, whatever it is, I'm pretty sure we can help you. We are so much more than a YouTube channel and a podcast. So go check that out as well. Otherwise, I'll catch you next week. Safe. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson.